It recognizes gallantry that goes above and beyond the call of duty in the face of an enemy attack. The tradition of awarding this honor began during the Civil War, and many of those who have received the medal have given their lives in the action that earned it. Today we add Lieutenant Michael Murphy's name to the list of recipients who have made the ultimate sacrifice. Deep in the mountains of Afghanistan, this brave officer gave his life in defense of his fellow Navy SEALs. Two years later, the story of his sacrifice humbles and inspires all who hear it. And by presenting Michael Murphy's family with the Medal of Honor that he earned, a grateful nation remembers the courage of this proud Navy SEAL. I appreciate the fact that we've got Barney Barnum, Tom Kelly, Tommy Norris, and Mike Thornton, Medal of Honor recipients with us today. We do welcome Dan Murphy and Maureen Murphy, father and mother of Michael Murphy, John Murphy, his brother, and other family members that are with us today. It's my honor to welcome all the friends and comrades of Lieutenant Michael Murphy here to the White House. Michael's decision to join the military wasn't an easy one for his family. As a Purple Heart recipient during Vietnam, Michael's father understood the sacrifices that accompany a life of service. Fewer than a third of those who begin this intense training program graduate to become Navy SEALs. There's little doubt about the determined lieutenant from New York. In 2002, Michael earned his Navy SEAL trident. They remember a patriot who wore a New York City firehouse patch on his uniform in honor of the heroes of 9-11. And they remember an officer who respected their opinions and led them with an understated yet unmistakable sense of command. Together, Michael and his fellow SEALs deployed multiple times around the world in the war against the extremists and radicals. While their missions were often carried out in secrecy, their love of country and devotion to each other was always clear. On June 28, 2005, Michael would give his life for these ideals. While conducting surveillance on a mountain ridge in Afghanistan, he and three fellow SEALs were surrounded by a much larger enemy force. Their only escape was down the side of a mountain, and the SEALs launched a valiant counterattack while cas cascading from cliff to cliff. But as the enemy closed in, Michael recognized that the survival of his men depended on calling back to the base for reinforcements. With complete disregard for his own life, he moved into a clearing where his phone would get reception. He made the call, and Michael then fell under heavy fire. Yet his grace and upbringing never deserted him. Though severely wounded, he said thank you before hanging up and returned to the fight before losing his life. To the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. I'm on with my co-host, Chantel Taylor. We have a special guest on with us, Eddie Penny. Eddie had a unique, has a unique background in the United States military, serving as a U.S. Marine, and then he went on to become a U.S. Navy SEAL. Eddie and Chantel, how's it going? 
Hey, good. Great. Thanks for having me. Uh, so, Eddie, you know, we, we like to kind of go through it from the beginning, um, you know, from the time that you signed up. Uh, before you joined the Marine Corps, can we talk about, like, what motivated you to, to make that choice to sign up? Uh, absolutely. Actually, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a Navy SEAL kind of all along, just uh, watching movies and all that stuff. I was just really just intrigued by it, uh, but definitely wanted to be the military. And then it would, what kicked all that off is I was actually at a Cincinnati Reds baseball game with my mother, and uh, it was during Operation Desert Storm, so 90, 91 time frame. And, you know, they did the national anthem, and, uh, you know, we all got our hands over our hearts. And at the end, they got, you know, some, some fighter jets that fly over. And as soon as that happened, I was like, I have got to do the military. Like, I just looked at my mom, kind of tugged on her shirt, like, that's what I'm going to do when I get older. And really, since that day, it was kind of the defining moment. Uh, that was my goal, kind of like my passion is to do. And, of course, I had no clue what I was signing up for, had no idea, like, watch a movie. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Really had no idea all that really goes into it and kind of how real it is. Um, but nonetheless, kind of got switched over to the Marine Corps, had a buddy that I was uh, that I swam with. He was a year ahead of me, and I went to his Marine Corps boot camp, and I'm like, you know, I'll do this. This sounds good. So did the Marine Corps for uh, four years. Didn't deploy anywhere. Was uh, stayed at Quantico, Virginia the whole time. I learned a lot. Met a, met a lot of great people. And there's just kind of something was missing. I'm like, I don't, you know, I was going to get out. I was going to go be a cop in Cincinnati, uh, which is which is great. But you know, I just I always wanted to be in the spec ops community. I wanted to be a SEAL. So. I just decided to jump in head first. I really had no fear. Uh, had a bunch of naysayers say, it, oh, you sure you want to do that? And, you know, in my heart, I just knew uh, this is what I was supposed to do. So I made the switch and uh, went to Bud's, you know, made it through Bud's, no problem. And, you know, ended up retiring uh, after 20 years of service. So that's kind of like a long version of the backstory right there of how I came in the military. And Eddie, that's it's, it's quite interesting there because obviously um, the stories that we normally listen to with reference to um, SEAL training is guys generally go in, you know, straight away to that that sort of that's that's how they join up. And it's really interesting that you were in the Marines beforehand. How, how did that? How did that help you? Did it help you or did it hinder you? What was what's your take on that? So, um, it was it was it definitely it definitely helped. I was. Uh, you know, when I when I signed up for the Marines, I was 17 year old uh, kid. You know, I thought I was a man. I was not. Uh, and just, you know, I had to have my parents sign away, you know, sign me uh, able to reenlist. But uh, I was more definitely much more mature when I went to Bud's. So there was obviously guys right out of uh, high school. And it was kind of like kind of became a, like more of like a big brother to them just because I had four years experience in the military. I kind of knew it was a game, kind of knew what was expected. Um Definitely had my basics covered from the Marines, which I am ever grateful for. Um, and I, I honestly don't know what the outcome would have been if I jumped straight into buds. But I definitely, you know, I, I'm so glad that I had those four years backing before I went to that, you know, to that challenge and uh, defeated it. So, yeah, but definitely even, helped. Even physically, you know, for a 17 year old um, boy, essentially, you know, you grow very quickly. And those, those sort of um, between 17 and 20, your body changes, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think uh, when I joined the Marines, I was probably 160, 170. And then when I was actually at Bud's, I think it was at 210, 215. So yeah, I, I found, you know, hit puberty pretty much then. Uh, 
you know, during my time in the Marine Corps. So it was definitely worth the wait in my eyes now. And, and everyone enjoys that gift. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so Eddie, you know, going through BUDS, obviously it is, you know, one of the toughest military courses that anyone can take on the planet. Um, not only is it, you know, long hours and little sleep, it's long hours and little sleep on a beach while you're wet, while you're cold. Um, you know, very tough to handle, has a very high attrition rate of people not making it through. Um, can we just kind of go through your experiences in BUDS? And, you know, maybe if you have like a story or two where you can share with the audience. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I just I listened to you guys did Turbo's podcast. I listened to that. And it's kind of the same thing. Uh, listen to the whole Bud's piece is, um, you know, it's I realized that it was it came down to me. You know, the one the two things that are really going to get you out are, you know, getting injured, which some of those things you cannot help. And then uh, quitting which you can a hundred percent help. So it was kind of on me as the individual, Hey, you know, don't quit. And that was pretty simple. Like I, I determined my fate, but what made that so easy was the guys around me. I mean, there is some awesome, awesome guys that I met and served with and had the privilege to go uh, do combat with and all that stuff. But, you know, having those guys, guys with personalities and we just, we had fun. I mean, it sucked. No kidding. You know, but you know, that saying misery loves company, and we just, we, we kicked it in the butt together. It, it just, it really wasn't, um, I wouldn't say it wasn't a challenge because it was a challenge, but I didn't really look at it or was scared every day. Like, man, I hope I don't get cut today. I hope I, I hope I make this evolution. It, I never really thought like that. I'm just like, okay, what do we have today? And let's make it work and move on to the next day. Just always thinking about the end game. You know, the end game was to go to combat. The end game was to serve this country. That was the end game. And, you know, this was just a little speed bump that I had to get over to do that. So I had no problem. I, I mean, it was fun. I wouldn't want to do it again today. My body's not the same, but uh, it was fun. So the um, trouble mentioned, you know, cause obviously, you know, you mentioned as well that, people get injured and you kind of roll back and there's not much you can do about that. Obviously you know, you're giving it your all, you roll your ankle or something like that. But Turbo said he was able to make it straight through in one shot. And I think the term he used was uh, one time, every time. Did you make it through in one shot or did you have to roll back at any point? Yeah. So it was one shot. Uh, every evolution, I never failed one evolution. There, there is one evolution where you have to do five minutes of treading water with uh, two scuba tanks on your back with your hands out of the water. And I thought that would be the easiest thing that, cause I, I was a swimmer, you know, that was my strong suit was uh, swimming. Definitely not running. I sucked at running. Uh, but in, in, you know, I jumped in, we started doing it and literally 20 seconds. And I'm like, I am going underwater. I am done. <laughs> but you know, just kind of in my brain, I was thinking, well, if you don't do it now, you're going to have to do it again. So you might as well just knock it out. And I just like push through it. That is one that is one event in uh, Buds that I was like, OK, maybe I might not be able to do this. But, you know, just, you know, everyone talks about Buds like, oh, you got to do this many push ups and you got to run this fast. You got to you know, do this many pull ups and you do. But it comes down to that mind and to that heart, like kind of what you're thinking and just that determination. And that's kind of what I just, what I had. And I, and I really didn't realize at the time that was going on. I was just pushing through. Uh, but you know, I just pushed it through the first time and, you know, I didn't fail one event at all, uh, through, through buds. So very fortunate. 
And then um, so some people sort of, when, when you sort of pass those those selective courses, it's not that that's not where it ends either, is it? Because you've got to go through the continuation training, all the different phases. How long in total before you're ready to deploy? How long do you, did, you know, did you take? Uh, for, for me personally, deploy, I think it took a total from, you know, stepping on like to San Diego into Bud's training was probably about two, two and a half years before I actually went overseas. And that's a Just good, that's a lot of, a lot it's of, a lot, yeah, it's a lot of, a uh, lot of training. I mean, there's a lot that can obviously go into it with just the way to, you know, to operate and, you know, you know, for the first deployment, when you go through all that training, you're like, man, I know it all. And then you come back and you learn more and you deploy again. You're like, I didn't know anything. My first deployment, you just like, it's like continuous learning and, you know, just sucking in all the wisdom from the guys that have been there, done that and served and, uh, but not a lot more deployments than you and just like literally hanging on every word and just kind of consuming as much as you can on how to get better. And it was, I mean, it, it just consumed my life and, uh, for good and bad, you know, the family definitely took a toll. Uh, but I mean, I loved it. It was just, it was my passion. I, you know, I couldn't, I wouldn't change a darn thing about my career. And from reading your bio, you went um, initially into SEAL Team Suit uh, 2, is that right? Yes. Uh, went to, uh, to the East Coast, to uh, Team 2, did two deployments, uh, both to Afghanistan and Iraq uh, f- when I was there. So wow. definitely good. An all-combat experience. And um, w- so, what year was it that you went through, Buds? Uh, 2000. 2000, I believe, was the – it was Class 237, so I think it was 2000. Okay. And then left 2002. Okay, so that's that's you know obviously right before the um you know September 11th and the towers fell and everything and um how was that time period for you guys like was that a busy time? It was when 9/11 happened. It was actually I was second phase in buds. Okay, okay. So so we were, we were actually in buds. I was in the chow hall getting food, and then you know we had the TVs on and we could see it, and all of us were like, well, okay, what does this mean for us? Are we gonna get you know pushed through training? sooner to go deploy but obviously that didn't happen we were kind of hoping but (laughs) that that didn't happen right kind of like um what was that movie uh gi jane where where they were like in training and then something crazy happened yeah i cannot believe you just pulled that out you you totally just pulled that out (laughs) (laughs) no that's that that doesn't happen (laughs) remember that factual the documentary gi jane yeah (laughs) That's what we live off of. Everything revolves around that movie. No, I'm kidding. It doesn't. <laughs> I, think it's, it's, I don't think it, it's not too harmful because obviously it's, it's an actress and, and Demi Moore looks, she seems to, she looks okay in it, doesn't she? She looks okay, yeah. yeah. Not bad. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I, I was going to um, ask a question with, with reference to like the, the phases of training. Obviously, once you've finished all of that, you still then have to come back and do like um, your command type courses and that must... Like you said about when you've done your first deployment, you come back and you think, I don't know anything. And then obviously, as you go through the rank structure, I mean, there's just they must just throw. So, you know, those courses must still be very intense, even though you're yeah, well, there's steel, you know. Yeah, there's just so many. I mean, as you know, you served, uh, you know, guys would go to sniper school or breacher school or communication school or go be a medic. I mean, there's just so much. And. And you got to stay on top of that training. So you're coming back. You have to get back up on your quals and go redo stuff. Um, 
obviously it's a, it's a full-time job, but it's, you know, it's so rewarding once you take all those skill sets with your team over there and, you know, take it to the enemy. It's, it's so worth it. Worth every, every blood, sweat and tear that you should. It's, it's totally worth it. And then looking at the, the way, the way your cycle went, obviously um, you then went, you wanted to move forward and go, go into what everybody knows as the SEAL Team 6. How was that? What, how, how, how much do you, do you have to want that to to get there? Uh, I think I think pretty much any seal wants wants it. Um, you know, certain issues might stop guys from going, like family issues, or um, you know, maybe being injured to a certain extent. But I mean, it's um, you know, it's a dream. You know, that's you know, usually the big missions, as we've seen in the um, you know just on the news. That's usually where it's going to is those tier one units. So. I mean, it was definitely it was it was definitely a kick in the nuts to um, you know go through training, but it was, again, it was worth it. You know, the, what's the end game is to get there and you know just be that guy that's overseas taking it to the enemy, and that's you know it was just my passion, and um, and you know just that was it. Take it, take it to them. Because it's I always feel like where and this is going to sound probably a bit corny, but where do you go from there? You know, once you've you've sort of you've already sort of thrashed yourself by going in and into um, to do your buds training, and then there you are again. You know, go, putting yourself through it again. It's kind of how does someone like that? Do you know what I mean? How do you get to a point where you think, you know, I'm all good now? Or do you? Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. Um, gosh, are we ever good? You know, <laughs> we we always want the next best thing, right? You get whatever it may be. You got a you know brand new truck, and then next year a new one comes out. You're like, ooh. I want that new one because it's got like a better stereo system or whatever. It's kind of the same thing. You just want the best. And, you know, once you get to what we call, you know, the tip of the spear, there's just so many things to do once you're there uh, to like, you know, for your country. I mean, it's just, it's an amusement park. It's fun. I mean, I, I, it's nothing but great, great people. And just, they all have the same mission, you know, what's best for the country. And, you know, that's, that's it. And, and looking at the way, the way your sort of career, the years that you've, um, you've deployed, I mean, you've, it's been busy, so you've not been left short of, you know, when some people train and they think, right, nothing's happening, but that can be further truth with your service. Right. Yeah. That's, they usually, you know, obviously depending on what's going on in the world, um, you know, when nine 11 happened, obviously things got ramped up quite a bit for, for a lot of us, a lot of different countries that were, you know, taking, you know, when trying to rid um, of the evil that's going on. But yeah, it was it was continuous. We had a mission. Uh, there was no kind of waiting around. If this should happen, this is no. This is going to happen. This is how we're going to conduct our business overseas. So there was a goal. It was very clear what our mission was, and we just trained for that, and we did a good job overseas. I would say. And um, Eddie, could you talk about, you know, like over the years, obviously being a in naval special warfare for that long. You know, as you said, you come back from a deployment and you and you go on to some kind of training. Uh, could you talk about some of the schools that you you've attended, if if that's okay, or you know, some of the qualifications you have? Um, my, my schools were mostly revolved around kind of like the explosives. I was a, I was a breacher, uh, okay. so you know, any way of getting in the door through a wall, what, whatever it is, that was kind of my kind of my thing. So I'd go to you know certain schools uh, just to get into things, which is. Which is kind of cool. If I ever wanted to like break into somewhere, I'm like, okay, I got this. <laughs> so like, like a uh, bank just gotta instance. make sure. 
Yeah, but I but but I won't do that because I'm <laughs> I'm an honest man. <laughs> but yeah, that's so. Yeah, you come back, you do those schools, and that was kind of kind of what I do. Obviously, you do your shooting schools, your you know your you know your medical stuff. You got it still got to do all these different schools just to stay up on everything uh, ready for the next appointments. But that would be most of my stuff would be going down the explosives, uh, the explosives route, and while other guys are doing sniper stuff or communications, that was kind of my thing. Right. That's what I enjoyed. Yeah, and, and you know, obviously, all, all that stuff is is difficult to deal with. Um, you know, especially with you know dealing with like the kind of um, being in small spaces that are overly concussed. You know, breaching mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, so would you be able to share a, a story from a time of deployment? Uh, you know, obviously. You, know, you don't have to give like specific certain details, but uh, you know maybe something that the audience can hear and kind of get a better uh, understanding of what it's like, what you guys are going through. Uh, like an actual operation overseas, kind of what we would see, like on a standard night, I guess. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it kind of just depends. Uh, you know, usually when we're going after guys, usually they're they're definitely the baddest of the bad, uh, cause we, you know, we, we know they are through different avenues of intelligence, but, uh, you know, one, one comes to mind, we were taking down a compound and we had two different teams kind of on the building and we were unable usually we kind of try to go over the wall or through, you know, through a door and we weren't able to do it. And so we, cause we were just taking grenades, machine gun fire, and there was, you know, the forces were a little bit heavier than we thought. So, Went around the backside. This is kind of where that you know that specific training comes in. Started uh, myself and another guy started blowing holes in the back of uh, of the compound walls and kind of going in through that way. They weren't expecting it at all, and we were able to to, to neutralize the target and take them all out just uh, just that way because they were concentrating on the front of the building and not really thinking about the backside. So kind of went in, blew out the walls, and then just took them out. And they were they were totally not ready for that and. I think we got a, a few guys on that one, uh, but that was it was a good operation just because like the whole team together, kind of working and just kind of you know one team kind of keeping the fire drawn on them while we're working the backside uh, getting in and it just you know it's it scared them enough to where uh, well those guys are no longer here and uh, they won't be doing any more bad things which is a great thing. And just on that, Eddie, did you have any sort of, because, you know, when you talk about breaching, that's a really kind of hairy um, position to be in, especially if it goes horribly wrong. Did you have any points where you thought, shit, that was a bit close? You know, as in. Uh, I, I think we're always, I think we say that a lot. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're trying to, <clears throat> you know, you, gotta, you, you said it. Defect. <laughs> What's that? That's just leaving the defect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you, you kind of just saying like being concussed, you know, you got your minimum safe distance where you're not really worried about the explosive charges, that overpressure that can really chew up your insides. Uh, but you know, some, some building layouts don't let you get that safe distance and you're just kind of, you're just kind of sucking it up. You're kind of holding all the, the right parts on your body to keep them protected. If you know what I mean? And just kind of sending that charge and, I mean, sometimes, you know, we've seen it where it's ripping like your, your pants off your body, like just like a leg will get ripped or something because of the overpressure is so crazy. Uh, looking back now, you know, I'm like, what the hell were we doing? But, uh, you know, you just the adrenaline's going. I mean, you're, you're in there, you're on a live target, uh, and it's just whatever makes sense to get it done. And 
you know, as efficiently as possible and to keep all your boys, you know, safe. That's just, it's what you do. You're not really thinking about, okay, I need to be back more. You're just like, we're just going to send it and you go in and take care of the situation on the inside. It's really what it comes down to. And, and the position is, I mean, you've got the element of surprise. So that's why, especially when you're breaching, you don't really have that. You can't just sort of ha- keep having this, the same sort of go. You know, you can't have um, multiple tries. You have to, because you do have that element of surprise, you you have to get in there super quick. Exactly. And that's kind of why it's so effective. You know, yeah. if you know, if you just think about your house, someone blows down the door, you're going to be like, what the heck is going on? And by the time you even have a chance to process anything, if you're bad and you got a gun, you're pretty much on the ground in a pool of blood anyway. So it's very effective. It works well. And that, that's just the dog going in. <laughs> or just sending the dog. Exactly. So, I mean, it's there's so many techniques and you know ways to tackle a problem. Uh, and obviously, situation dictates for each one. But, um, yeah, it's, it's effective. Really amazing stories with the dogs, you know, that they – it's almost like it's quite interesting and – and you know everyone loves animals, but when you hear that the dogs get get beasted as well, and they go through their training process to become part of what you you were, I mean, it's it's that mm-hmm. they're almost at the sort of peak of their sort of their job as well. They have to be selected, which is pretty amazing too. Yeah, those those dogs. I, I tell you what, I think they're probably one of the most valuable assets that we have. I mean, they've saved, I mean, just numerous lives. So we can hear from it, regardless of the service or country. I mean, they are just phenomenal and their dog handlers are i mean even better just knowing their dog and how to control them i mean i can i mean i can think of you know a handful of times where they've saved uh my life personally and and you know the guys around me uh but they're you know just such a valuable asset to have on the battlefield and just and talking about different different assets because and this is something interesting i was chatting to john about it earlier is um a, a couple of guys that i've known that have, have served um in our the british sas and things like that they said sometimes when they're because they they've spent so long in um, in the special forces world, it's, it's it's very easy for them to sometimes forget what it's like to be back in a you know a company of normal grunts doing their thing. Which obviously that how have you ever had incidences where you've had you know even at the the sort of sharper end of the um or the I'm trying to think of the words now. Right, so you're at the tip of the spear. But whether you've had support troops that have had to sort of get you guys out of the shit at any any point, or putting you know do, doing that stuff. Of course, I mean we you know we say the tip of the spear, but you know it's really the support that kind of goes around you that makes it all happen. Because if you don't have that support, all the different assets um, that really you might not even know you have, but the guy you know at the command center does. Um, you know, that's kind of what makes them, you know, makes the spec ops community so awesome is just all the people, all their different jobs that kind of come together. And I mean, it's, it's a formidable force. I mean, it's, it's impressive. I mean, I, I'm impressed. I'm like, I'm like, wow, we have that. That is sweet. Like, this is awesome. So, I mean, yeah, I have no problem going to your door and blowing it down because I know I have this, this, and this, and even this if I need it. So, but yes, um, it's all valuable. You know, you're overseas, you got, everyone's got the same mission when they look at the big picture and, you know, we're, we're not, we're nothing without the support, uh, bias. I mean, that's, that's, that's the truth period. I just, as, as seals go, do you have, like, I know obviously you, you were in the military, um, or in the Marines before you went into seal training. Do you have a lot of guys that do that or is it predominantly straight in as a seal? Um, I was actually, 
I went to Bud's with two guys that I was at the School of Infantry with, which is so crazy. Uh, when I went to Bud's, they were there. And the last time I saw them was right after boot camp. We were at School of Infantry down in uh, Camp Lejeune. And they were they were there. Um, and they, they, those, two, those two individuals actually didn't make it. They were actually both Force Recon, which is kind of funny. Um, didn't make didn't make it through training. Uh, it might have been injuries. I'm not really sure. Uh, but yeah, there's a, been a couple. There's a couple other guys that I'm that uh, were in the same buds class, and they did the same exact thing as I did. There was I think two or three of them um, that that did the exact same thing. Yeah, I, I think um, at least like at the time, you know, during those days, uh, Marines had like Force Recon and stuff like that. But if they if they kind of wanted to go deeper into the Spec Ops world. I guess the next option was like the Navy, right? Navy SEALs or whatever. Yeah, it kind of comes down to like before I came in, it kind of comes down to pots of money. Like what spec ops community can dip into this pot of money, could dip right. into this pot. And at the and at the I mean, the SEAL community obviously has those pots of money that <clears throat> excuse me, has those pots of money. So which means better gear, better training. Uh, it just makes a better product and, you know, nothing against, uh, the Marine Corps whatsoever. I mean, they are awesome with what they get. They make it all work, but you know, when you have that option for this better technology that's coming out and always being on top of the game, especially with, you know, night capabilities, um, you know, that's, it's usually going to be your better force. Right. It's just like, you know, you, you, you have the, the budget to go along with the training and, and, and whatnot to kind of complete your mission absolutely right. absolutely so i just wanted to ask um you know in when you were in the marine corps uh you were an urban terrain instructor and uh you specialize in creating calm reactions in the face of an emergency um you know in my opinion this is a, a skill that can go with you anywhere in life and it's kind of essential because at some point in life you're going to end up in a situation that you kind of didn't plan for, and you have to kind of remain calm. Um, can you talk about the importance of this in warfare? And then if we can talk a little bit about um, how important that is in life in general. Yeah. It, you know, it's kind of funny is when I, taught, I mentioned when I did the Marines and went to my first unit, it was like a non-deployable. And we're, we're actually there to train, uh, train officers as they come in. But, you know, I have, I had zero experience. So, um, you know, I had to do a lot of reading and a lot of, um, just listening to higher ups, how to do that and just kind of teach in what we were taught to these new officers. Uh, so, you know, if you have a plan, you know, it, it really comes out of that training, like being calm in your situation. It's really comes down to that training. If you don't have that training, that basic training, uh, the fundamentals, uh, you know, it could turn to chaos really fast, but where if you did have the training, you know, you could get through it, move on and, um, you know, carry out the mission, but it's, you know, same thing in life, right? We, you know, we see things happen all the time where guys are flipping out and it's, it's, it's solving nothing. You know, I, I was guilty of this. And then I kind of realized like, Hey, why are you flipping out? Cause all you're doing is you're making your situation worse and you're infecting all the people around you. So they're flipping out now and it's just not, it's a recipe for disaster instead of like solving a problem. Yeah. It's funny. Like I, you know, you see all these videos online and stuff. Um, you know, something happens, something bad happens. Uh, someone gets hurt or something like that. And there's always like someone in the video just screaming their head off. And I'm like, please shut the fuck up. Like you're just making the whole situation worse. Um, right. And apply and apply pressure to the bleeding wound. Please just yeah, do that. Like, yes. Put the phone down. 
Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, so it, it's just interesting. And I know, you know, as a, you know, a Navy SEAL, um, you know, keeping you calm in a in a gunfight type of situation really keeps you you and your teammates alive. Right. And that, and that keeping calm, I mean, there's been some situations where I'm like, we are so done, but I mean, <laughs> you could just see it on each other's face. We're kind of looking, just kind of shaking our heads, like, got it. I mean, but what's so good is it's when you, you know, you train like that. I mean, we were kind of prepared for that. I mean, I think once you do all that training and your whole life kind of revolves around combat, uh, you expect that you're like, okay, my, you know, this might be my night or, you know, this deployment might be, and we were okay with that. Like it was okay. Like it was a good death. If that makes any sense whatsoever, it was, it was, you know, just, it was good. Like it, no one really cared. It was, it was fine. Obviously we didn't want to pass away, but we were, we believed in everything we were doing. It was for, you know, the United States of America. And that, I mean, it, it was just, it would have been a good death if, you know, if there was any death, that's good. That that's what probably what I would choose. Yeah. And I think a little, a lot of the time as well, and this this goes um, into the civilian um, side of life as well, is that it's when you accept that things are happening that you can actually change the outcome. You know, some some people, they, they're, they're that sort of, um, their mind's set on, I can't believe this is happening. Whereas if mm-hmm. you accept it's happening, you can then, you know, you can then change the outcome by your actions as opposed to, you know, continually thinking along the same tracks of, as soon as you get over that little, did you, did you find that? I mean, because you would have been so so finely tuned that you you would have probably done that naturally just because of all the all the training that you'd done. You know, you would have accepted things very quickly. Right. Yeah. I guess it's like processing the kind of situation that's going on, uh, more like reacting than overreacting, like flipping out. Uh, and and there's been many a times where you know certain situations would come up, and you know a a, a buddy next to me, another uh, operator would be like all right, let's do this. And I'm just kind of trying to process. And then they would say that like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. So it's really that whole team thing, you know, like more brains are, you know, better than less brains just to, to solve the problem. So, you know, it really comes down to that teamwork. Um, can't say enough about that. Yeah. So there's, there's something, you know, kind of what, what you just mentioned a few, few minutes ago, it kind of brought my, my thinking to it. Um, it, it's a quote from a SEAL who was at that same command as you. Um, I'm forgetting his name. It, it might have been... Um, I, I know he was killed in an extor- the Extortion 17 incident. Um, mm-hmm. Was it Heath? His name Heath. Um, Robinson? Yeah, it might have been... This might be... Yeah, this quote might belong to Heath Robinson. And if I'm messing that up, forgive me. Um so here's what he said. He said, I either want to die in combat doing my job right now or live until I'm 98 years old and see my great grandkids. Uh, I don't want anything between none of us do. A warrior's death, you can't get any higher than that. It's horrible for the family. They don't want to hear it. But for us and the guys at our command, we're okay with it. This is our duty. It's the highest calling. It, it, do you kind of feel like that or, or do guys kind of generally feel that way? I, I believe they do. I, re- I really do. I mean, that's just kind of works. You know, it's just kind of a life that we were drawn to. Um, how that happens? Maybe it's like Rambo movies and watching Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, destroy a bunch of bad guys. I don't know what it is, but you just get drawn to it. I didn't wake up one day and be like, you know what? Uh, let's go to combat and get shot at. I never, I never said that once. Um, but it just was. I was just drawn to it, just like a, you know, like a magnet. It was crazy. 
And we've spoken about this sort of warrior ethos before that there is, you know, through the ages, there's been that ethos of, and um, they didn't, they weren't necessarily draped in their flags back in years gone by, but it was this, it was still that same warrior, you know, it was honorable to die at the, the hands of a sword. Mm-hmm. It, yeah, it's, it's in our DNA, you know, guys want to be the hero. We want to like save, you know, save whatever we need to save, rescue the princess and just march on. That's, that's in our DNA, plain and simple. I mean, and you know, if it's, you know, saving a country or your buddy, whatever it is, I mean, that's just what we want to do. Uh, and just, I guess, some of us act on it um, instead of thinking about it. I guess. How do you how do you stay calm? Um, I know I know, like it's, it's something you can just either either choose to ignore. But how can you stay sort of sometimes calm when we have the way that the world is now, and you with all social media and the, and the way that people are they're, they're more freely discussing how they feel about um, being at war or not supporting troops or not supporting the you know politicians. How do you feel when you read stuff like that? When, when uh, you feel what you've given to the country, what does that piss you off or are you indifferent? Um, so, sometimes I get a little irritated, but then I kind of look at uh, a lot of these guys that are saying, or girls that are saying this stuff, they've never even left uh, the country that they're, you know, they've never even left the United States or whatever country. So they really have no clue what they're talking about when it kind of comes to that. You know, they want to rip on your, you know, their their home country or whatever, but they've never been anywhere else besides maybe to like a resort down in the Caribbean. It's right. like you can't. That doesn't. That doesn't, really that count. doesn't count. Yeah. Doesn't that count? I'd, I'd even go so far as to say they probably never left their room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they were on that perfect little resort, uh, had drinks delivered to them. So, but I mean, when you see what uh, you know an evil person is capable of doing to. Yeah. You know, a child, a woman, another man, or just whatever, a school, and you can see what they're capable of. It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, it's just, it's disgusting to see. I, I mean, I don't even call them humans. They're just savages. And, right. uh, you know, if, if they knew some of this stuff, they would be singing a different tune. And that, and that's okay. A lot of this stuff isn't for the general public to see. A lot of them like to live in that, I don't want to see it, kind of that plaus- plausible deniability. And, and that's okay. Um, but you can't be ripping on stuff that you don't know anything about. And that, I see that that's happening a lot. And there's a lot of things that I want to tear down, but I really, I'm ignorant on the subject. So I just kind of keep my mouth shut, um, as best as I can. <laughs> right. Uh, but I, I think that's a good approach though. Cause you know, if, if there's some, you're not so well versed in, then maybe there are things happening that you're not aware of, you know? And, um, exactly. It, it's exactly. funny that you, you mentioned savages, right? Because, um, when American Sniper came out, you know, uh, kind of a story about Chris Kyle's life, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Navy SEAL. Um, and there was a part in the movie where they were hunting down this guy who was like, um, I forget his name, but, you know, he was he was capturing people and like torturing them like ruthlessly. And right. And, the, you know, one of the he was they were given a mission where they had to, like, get this guy. And at some point, I think, you know, on Abu Dira. Who's a person? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was like a real. This was le- legit. And um, <laughs> he was a bad, bad man. Yeah, like, and mm-hmm. and he was doing yeah. really bad shit to people, and they referred to him as a savage in the movie. And mm-hmm. you know, there was like a you know, a con- there's controversy about everything, but there was a controversy about that. And and then people were like, oh, you know, they're calling all Iraqi savages, and it's like, no, they're not. They're talking very specifically about a certain type of guy you know not necessarily an iraqi um as a, a lot of the people they were fighting against were not iraqi so um you know it's just interesting 
you know, that's like a regular thing for you. Yeah, these dudes were savages because they are, you know, only savages would cut someone's head off on television. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm -hmm. just, and, and I just don't understand how people get outraged over things like that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Here's a, here's a story. Cause I actually had a, a shooting I was involved with, um, shot a bad guy, was armed, but it could have gone either way and just kind of reacted in, uh, shot him and it, it just didn't sit well with me. And this is, this is in my younger, like my first one or two deployments, <clears throat> but we, we, you know, we got some stuff. I found a DVD on, on target and kind of, you know, we were going through it and, and there was video of this guy that I just shot and he was, he was taking uh, KBR. We've all heard them, you know, they kind of delivered supplies uh, overseas, but he was taking these truck drivers and torturing them, like stabbing them, seeing what a bull looks like in the leg and the arm and the chest, wow. doing all these torture. And like from that day on, I was like, okay, yeah, this is not right. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're in that position and you're not, you know, you're holding that weapon or whatever, there is no really time for discussion. Cause I mean, that they're the stuff they're capable of. I didn't even know a human was capable of. It's ridiculous. Right. Right. And, and, and that's why, you know, and it's just it's it's kind of that's kind of an interesting uh, story you have there because here you are kind of feeling w weird about it, and then you go, oh wait a minute, this guy's putting out uh, torture videos. You know, like fuck this guy. You kind of you know what I mean? Yeah, that's exactly how it was too. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, uh, Eddie, you know, this is something. Well, actually, I'll let Santel go with this because this is something she wanted to talk about. Uh, you know, kind of the, some of the transition and stuff like that. Was well, in the transitioning into into the civilian world, or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, then that was I was looking. Obviously, I've been um, looking at your st stuff today, and and how um, you've can't you obviously staying on along the same lines, and and what when you you only got you know got out quite recently, but to to those that will eventually have to transition, all that sort of stuff. Are you? Are you sort of attacking this new lifestyle with the same vigor? Are you? How, how do you feel? You know, how's your transition been? Um, well, when I when I got out or I stopped, because uh, I did my last couple of years was at a training command. So when I got out, when I got done deploying, um, it was it was rough. It was kind of like you know all your buddies that you kind of grew up with and did all this training with are still deploying, and you're you know you're not a part of the operation, part of the conversation, and it's like uh, you just kind of feel like your worth is gone. So there was definitely a, a rough period, a little bit longer than I thought, but, and I kind of went down, you know, down a little rabbit hole and, you know, I just kind of got myself back. I was like, no, this is not, uh, this is not who I am. Uh, went and got my degree in security management, uh, you know, started a company contingent group and, you know, just kind of, you know, kind of doing this, just taking what I knew and what I learned and pretty much taking it to the civilian side and just providing it for our clients. So, but it was definitely, um, it was definitely rough. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm glad I had, was, was able to, you know, get my, um, get my degree and kind of really focus on what I want to do when I get out. And it just kind of, uh, it just kind of worked out good. So. Yeah, because I think I think a lot of people, and this is just from my own experience of people like getting in touch and, and trying to wanting to talk about the transition, is they're they're sometimes in too much of a hurry to sort of run away from what they were, as if they have to hurry away from the military. They want to get as far away as they can, but the reality is, is if that's not always the best way. 
you know, because yeah. it's like going from one thing, especially, you know, someone like you, if you were to just say, right, that's it, and completely draw, that's, it can actually be quite unhealthy. Yes. Yeah, that, that is true. And you kind of, what I've found is I felt like I was on an island with no one around. And, uh, and I've talked to other buddies that, you know, no issues and they felt the same way. It's like, okay, can we be friends? <laughs> Cause this is miserable being alone. Uh, and once you get over that stuff, you got to stop moping around and you yeah. kind of get back in and, and you got to remember all those guys that you're with, they're going to be getting out as well. And you, that's a wonderful network. Like you guys can, I mean, what I'm finding out is, you know, I've got a lot of buddies that I served with and we're, you know, we're doing business together. We're making stuff happen. And I mean, nothing's got to change just because, I mean, you don't have that, you know, that protective, I'm in the military blank and not to really worry about anything because everything's kind of provided for you. Um, you know, it's, it's fun. Not now it's fun. It, it, you know, there's a couple months where it kind of sucked. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but once you get over that and you just kind of get back on your feet and, you know, you find that drive again, I mean, it's on and it's just like, okay, what, what good can we do? And that's, that's what I try and say is that, you know, it's, it's okay to be different. If you've served in the military, you can still, you don't have to lose the way you talk, you know, which is slightly different to sometimes civilian or civilian counterparts is you can, you can keep hold of that. And, and it's fine to be like that. Don't people try and, you know, they want, they almost want to get rid of it too soon. And, and there's no need because there's so much that the military has to offer the civilian world, you know, to make it, to make it better. And obviously looking at the way your company's, um, it's in its infancy, but it's all obviously already doing extremely well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And all that is, you know, you know, give thanks to you know my 20 years in the, in the military, because that's obviously my education, everything I learned, all the, you know, my experiences, and then obviously good friends that are, you know, that we're working together that are making that happen. What, what advice would you give to someone who's, uh, you know, Who's, who wants to join up? Would you would you encourage you know young men and women to to take the, the path that you chose? Um, you know, I think it's you kind of go with what your passion is. If your passion is to you know go the specs spec ops community, then yeah, you do everything you need to do to go get that or whatever whatever it may be. If you want to go be a cook in the military, it doesn't matter. Then you go do that. Yeah. Um, but I think you know sometimes people are joining. Uh, you know, they want free college or they want um, free stuff. And that, and, that, and that's okay because that's part of the package. But, you know, while you're in, you're serving, I mean, you do your best. And if you do your best and take advantage of all the resources that you have, you know, free school, all this stuff, you know, while you're in, uh, you know, a lot of those guys, you know, they take full advantage. They're not leaving because they're like, wow, this is kind of good. And it, and it should still mean like, and I, I get what you're saying there, but the, some people do to do join to get this kind of education. But I, I actually remember when I um, stood with my hand, you know, and I read out my um, commitment to the Queen. I actually really meant something. Right. I actually really it- felt like that was, you know, what I needed to be doing right at that moment. It wasn't, I, you know, and it's it kind of riles me a bit if some people sometimes feel that way, where to them it's it's because it's not just a job, is it? No, it's not. I mean, it's it's for your country. Plain yeah. and simple. That's really what it comes back to. And I like that. <laughs> yes, me too. Because that's that's the uh, that's number one right there. Yeah. How do you feel about that, John? Uh, you know, it's. Let's um, see, John. Hopefully, you're still awake, John. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm always awake. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um. You know, people do things for different reasons, you know, and um, I think the people who really excel and go 
to the highest levels are the people who kind of do it for the right reasons. You know, like um, when you do something in life, it, it's kind of just for yourself. Uh, they say you won't get as far as if uh, you you realize you you hit that point where it becomes about something bigger than yourself. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. And I think all the guys like Eddie and women like yourself, Santel, who who've gotten to where you've gotten in in your service, it, it doesn't happen because you wanted to get like a free education or that twenty thousand uh, dollar enlistment bonus. You know what I mean? So, kind of like anything, right? If you um, if you go into something just kind of half-assing it, or or maybe not half-assing it, maybe some people just want to join and do four years and get out. But um, and public service is the same. You got police. You know, anyone who's willing to go into something that's uh, it's not always the best pay, but the, they get. Right, it's the job satisfaction, you know. Some people want to do something mm-hmm. that they feel like they're, you know, making a difference. Like uh, EMTs in, in New York City, their their pay isn't great, but they're out here saving lives and um, every single day. And and that has to be so rewarding, you know. And and I can't really imagine why you would do that job, you know, like high stress job when they're yeah. not paying you that well. Other than you really, it, it really kind of satisfies you as a human, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, Eddie, just, you know, kind of talking about your company, you know, for anyone listening who who may be interested in, in some of the services you provide, can you just kind of break down what exactly you guys do? Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, really, you know, I'm always asked this question, what do you guys do? And there's just so much. And I and I always hate saying that we're a security company because ultimately guys like, oh, you, you you know, you're a security guard at the at the lobby to my building. And, and that's not what we are at all. What we do is we, we kind of design the security for the individual, family, organization, whatever it may be, uh, usually at an international level. So if we got, you know, people traveling outside of the United States, you know, we kind of take over, we get all the information, do an assessment and be like, okay, we need to establish this, 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 and put these security measures in the place and just kind of, I mean, we design it. And, and it could be as simple as, you know, an individual uh, at their house, like, hey, I need to figure this out because I don't like my the way my security is. So we'll just pretty much take their life, do an assessment on it, and then plug in what we think is the best uh, the best solution for them. So it, I mean, it's it covers a lot of stuff, but what it comes down to is, regardless of whatever the issue is, security, logistical, whatever it is, we'll get the job done, regardless of what it is, because that's just most of the guys that you know. Uh, work for contingent group is, you know, kind of come from the same background minus our intelligence folks, but uh, it's, you know, it's, we can do it, you know, we'll, we'll get it done regardless of what it is. Cause we, we have a real hard time saying no. And we have a hard time saying we can't actually, we don't say can't cause we can. <laughs> there you go. All right. Cool. And if, if anyone's interested in um, like checking you out or checking out your company, uh, where can they do that? Uh, you know, we've got, we have Facebook page and we have our Instagram. It's at contingent group. Um, that's probably the best way to find us. We put a lot of good security tips out there. A lot of free stuff for guys just to get their brains thinking about security. Um, so that's, that's where you can find us. What's that? I looked on your Facebook page today and I I was looking at, is it the, um, diligence, the, the guy, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, diligence. We're going to see a lot more of him. We're going to start giving him some jobs to do. 
And then, and also it's got um, really good articles. I was look at a lot of travel tips and that, that's another thing is people don't realize that the stuff that the positive stuff that you can pick up from pages like your own with reference. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's free advice. Exactly. And you know, the problem is, is everyone's kind of like on the, uh, the reactive program yeah. versus the proactive program. Right. Yeah. And, and I, I was just talking to um, a client about, they had a, uh, an acquaintance that got kidnapped. And then after they got kidnapped, they decided to put in their security program. It should be the other way around. You know, you, right. you do it so it doesn't happen and to deter the bad guy. So that's what we're trying to push the clients, potential clients is like, Hey, let's take care of this now because it's way more expensive later and it could cost you your life. Yeah. I, and I, I think people kind of like, um, I mean, look, there are like really crazy people out there, but I think when you when you talk about some of that stuff to someone who doesn't have a military background or who doesn't take an interest in some of it, they look at you kind of like you're crazy. You know what I mean? Like 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 a crazy prepper, you know. But um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, but all that kind of that uh, heightened awareness and that kind of uh, being receptive to the threats out there comes from the experience. Absolutely, absolutely. And a lot. It's interesting you say that, John, because a lot of the time I I speak with um, because I I guess I've travelled um, a fair few places as a lone female traveller. You know, I, I give advice to women with reference to their travels, and they sometimes look at me like I'm, you know, smoking crack or something. Yeah, I'm like, like Doomsday. Look. Like, where yeah. did you just come back? <laughs> but from? It's, it's really not. It's just, all it is is like simple little tips and li- little changes to your pattern that aren't ever gonna. Um, see you off, you know, a, a life-saving um, tip, and it's it's quite interesting because some people say, you know, it can go one of two ways. You can either, I would say, you know, empower yourself so you're not don't make yourself. If you're going to be a victim, don't be an easy one. Right. You know, you, you're you're, you're absolutely right. But you and it gets to a point where, and then don't become this person. Who, you know, you learn a few things, and then all of a sudden, you think you're, you know, Rumble. you're on. You're on homeland, so you yeah. can kind of <laughs> deal with any scenario. Do you know, do you know, you've just to, I would say just be aware, and that 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 little trait itself will save save lives, save your life anyway. Just being aware of your surroundings. Absolutely, and so many of us. Where, where is everyone right now? They're in their phone, Facebooking. They're not even paying attention to what's going on. Falling in sewer, oh, hitting cars. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah and you, you see it. Um all over you know i know in in the uk uh you guys have had some issues with attacks and stuff like that for me here in new york city like everybody's fucking crazy anyway so a terrorist attack just kind of falls on the list of shit you got to worry about when you step out of your house yeah. but it, it is just kind of amazing to see people like on the subway for instance millions of people ride it every day and i would say like 70% of people are just not paying attention. And if something does go wrong, like they're going to be completely caught in the middle uh-huh. of it uh, and have no clue on how to react and, you know, panic and, and you know, that kind of whole thing that uh, goes with that. And it's sad that it's usually, you know, like I said, is just someone has to, you know, someone that walks out to their car, uh, take a female, for example, walks out to her car late at night, pretty much a couple nights a week. And then, Finally, something gets happened. She gets attacked by a guy. You know, she survives. Then she wants to, okay, maybe now I should go get a gun or I should carry pepper spray or I'm going to leave before it gets dark. 
these little things can be done way before. So this doesn't even happen. And it's just, unfortunately, it takes a lot of people to become a victim or another statistic before they make a change. And that's what, you know, that's the goal is to stop that. Like get guys equipped or, or, or females, get, a, get them equipped yeah. so they don't have to be that statistic. Yeah, definitely. And that's a good, you know, it's a good, and it's good to see, you know, companies like you out there sort of sharing that knowledge. Because like I said, if, if you go to um, Contingent Group Facebook page, and this is, I'm not trying to, they're not selling anything on there. It's actually free advice. So, yep. you know, get get people on there. So it's a really good tool. And are, are these just like social media posts or are they like articles from your website? We'll do we'll do articles. We'll make up our own posts, little tips uh, for people that are traveling or just at your home, and to talk about lighting, fences, perimeter. I mean, it just it changes all the time. We throw some medical stuff on there, gun stuff. It just anything that can you know have people protect themselves against the bad guy. We'll we'll put it on there. So it's you know we're always putting new stuff on there to, and a lot, we're getting a lot of great feedback from guys saying, hey, we really love this. Can't believe I didn't find you guys you know sooner. So we're we're happy about that, and it's all about just as you said, Chantel, empowering the people. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be, I'll that's awesome. Page. It's a really good page. But no, I was going to say it's really. Hopefully, you can come on again because it's been really. There's so much more to say. Yes, there is. <laughs> there, there always is. Yeah, and it's cool to um, you know, you guys are putting out that information, and um, yeah, maybe you can come back on and like share some tips and stuff like that. Uh, you know, regarding some of these uh, subjects that you you tackle uh, with your company. Absolutely. All right, cool. It was, it was great having you on here. You know, we really appreciate you taking out the time to do this. Um, you know, I know the audience is going to like it. Thanks, Eddie. I, I appreciate you guys having me on there. Thank you very much. Michael Monsoor was a U.S. Navy SEAL, a gunner by training. He was killed in Ramadi two years ago. And I'll read from his official U.S. military summary of action. It reads, an enemy fighter hurled a hand grenade onto the roof. The grenade hit Mansoor in the chest and bounced onto the ground. He immediately leapt to his feet and yelled grenade to alert his teammates of impending danger, but they could not escape harm. Without hesitation and showing no regard for his own life, he threw himself onto the grenade, smothering it to protect his teammates. Mansoor's actions could not have been more selfless or clearly intentional. And that's why it was so emotional today at the White House. Mr. and Mrs. Mansoor, America owes you a debt that can never be repaid. This nation will always cherish the memory of your son. We will not let his life go in vain. This nation will always honor the sacrifice he made. May God comfort you. May God bless America. Come on up. Just as no parent should ever have to bury a child, it hurts deeply when a nation buries its young heroes, and that showed on the president's face today. Michael Monsoor was from Garden Grove, California. He was a devout Catholic who loved Johnny Cash and his beloved Corvette. He was a star athlete in school from a military family. Three quarters of the missions he went on in Iraq were under heavy fire. His Medal of Honor is the third to be awarded so far in the Iraq War, a conflict that has seen countless acts of heroism. Michael Monsoor would have turned 27 this past Saturday.